Greetings and salutations, Frasier Files. You are listening to the debut episode of The Frasier Analysis, a show where we go through every episode of Frasier from the pilot all the way to Goodnight Seattle. This is the Critical Android, and joining me for this series is my friend Eric. How are you doing, sir? Doing great. Glad to hear it, because we are kicking things off with the debut episode of Frasier, as you would expect from our debut episode, uh, an episode called The Good Son, which premiered in 1993 as the first episode of the show. And uh, there's a lot to discuss about this episode, because this is the pilot, so it had a lot to, it had to accomplish, as opposed to, like, you know, a show in, in the middle of its run, and just an episode from, like, you know, a season four or season five or something like that. Uh, but we're talking about a show that I guess we should mention, first of all, uh, one of the, regardless of personal opinion, this is one of the most lauded shows of all times in terms of awards, critical review, all of that. It is one of the most highly reviewed and decorated shows of all time. No, that's true. I'm not sure how it will stand the test of time, given the fact that um, people will view it as being, perceive it as being too smart for them or whatever, but it won numerous Emmys, both for the show itself and for the cast members. To this day, David Hyde Pierce still has the record of uh, 11 consecutive nominations for Best Supporting Actor in a sitcom. So, yes, the the critical accolades and the awards are astronomical on this. I should note, too, uh, for anybody who isn't familiar with it, Frasier is a spinoff from Cheers, which also ran for 11 years. And it wasn't necessarily expected to be a spinoff because the creators of Cheers were working with Kelsey Grammer on planning a show. It wasn't initially thought of to be uh, a Frasier show. But eventually they, they wound up with the determination that, yeah, they should utilize the popularity of the character of Frasier to create something else for NBC. And that ultimately resulted in the show that we know and love and plan on diving into to discuss and analyze and point out why we like it, review it, and go from there. I'll start off with a little bit of technical information here and basically just state that, uh, as I had mentioned, this episode was made in 1993, uh, which was the debut season of Frasier and followed the series finale of Cheers. Like, there was only... The only in-between between those shows was the typical uh, summer break where shows go off following their series finale or season finale and then come back in the fall. During that interim, uh, it's kind of like takes place in real time as Frasier picks up literally six months after the closing of Cheers. And this episode, to continue with that carryover, was directed by James Burroughs, who was also the director of a vast majority of the Cheers episodes, and it was written by the show's creators, uh, I should say the Frasier creators, who also all worked on Cheers. Uh, this episode in particular was written by David Angel, Peter Casey, and David Lee, who, again, all three of those people created the the concept of Frasier, even though Glenn and Les Charles, who created the character of Frasier, uh, were the ones who worked on uh, you know, the creation aspect. They did not write this, but uh, Frasier's character obviously carries over from Cheers. So with that technical information out of the way, uh, Eric and I have both rewatched this episode. I know Eric's watched it a couple times, and uh, I'll let him start things off because uh, he's he's really thrown himself into into this episode, <laughs> and I, I give him a lot of credit for that. So I I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I did watch it a couple times because it's actually a, an episode that I. Um, haven't seen it in a really long time and initially had a, a, I was like, I'm not really sure I necessarily like the pilot, I guess maybe because I'm so familiar with all the characters from having seen every episode so many times that I feel like it's, it's, um, extraneous, but I was watching it and I was like, 
wow, this is a really funny episode uh, right off the bat. And it opens with right off the bat. And uh, as as you pointed out, um, Casey and Lee wrote the episode um, and uh, and they explain uh, on the commentary that the, this episode goes right into Frazier at his new job as a radio host. Um, and he goes on a long monologue <laughs> as to one of his callers that essentially provides all the exposition that you need um, that, you know, he, he the reference that he moved away from Boston, that, you know, he was spending too much time at Cheers. He gets in a couple of days at Lilith and their marriage. And uh, it's just a really nice way of getting all the exposition out of the way and um, explaining why Frazier is in Seattle now. And we also find out that piece of uh, trivia is that he actually is a Seattle native, which no one, I guess, probably ever knew or that they ever referenced on Cheers. Yeah, I don't think that, I don't think they ever reference it because whenever he just speaks of uh, where he doesn't really speak of his history, except for the fact that, you know, he's in Boston. Uh, that's where his practice was. He, he doesn't talk about time away there except for his studies because we find out he studied at harvard and oxford uh so obviously he was out of the country for for his oxford studies but outside of that we we don't know of any kind of ties that he has to seattle but uh they they do specifically make note uh, obviously in in fraser uh that yeah we are in seattle they said it very strongly in that expositional uh, speech that he gives but they also tie in, make sure to mention that, you know, he was separated from his, his son, too, uh, yeah. uh, Freddie, because they, they didn't want to make Frazier seem like an absent father. Yeah, like he abandoned his kid. Yeah, because he, he very much loves his, his child, and he, you know, he makes note of that uh, on a couple occasions in this episode. And like you said, too, he also takes those digs at Lilith, which are funnier if you are familiar with Cheers uh, than as opposed to if you're not. But overall, you you didn't really need to know anything about Frazier's character from Cheers in order to appreciate this episode. Right. But we also get introduced in this scene, especially uh, during the monologue and, and after it, to his producer, uh, who was working on the radio show with him, Roz, Roz Doyle. Roz. Now, uh, also a quick note, uh, you know, considering this is the first episode and this is common knowledge to us, but Frazier Crane is portrayed by Kelsey Grammer, uh, who obviously played Frazier in Cheers. And Ross Doyle is played by Perry Gilpin, who has not done an awful lot of things that people would know for mainstream outside of Frasier. Uh, yeah. Some guest spots on things and some voice work. But uh, she plays the character of, of, like I had said, Ross Doyle. And I'll let Eric continue a little bit along with uh, the description of Ross. She wasn't the original choice for Ross. Lisa Kudrow was the original Ross. During the rehearsals... They just said in the initial filming, they said, this isn't working out. She's not really right for us. This isn't really the right show. I think she, she realized it as well. And they parted ways and they brought Perry in, who excelled at it. And she actually did a much better job. She was able to go. Roz is, Roz, Roz is portrayed as extremely confident in herself. She She's the quintessential 90s woman. She's career. She's got a great career. She's uh, extremely confident and sure of herself. Uh, she's able to go toe-to-toe with Frazier and kind of keep him in line. And as they point out, it's like Roz asserts her dominance within the within the radio uh, industry. It's, it's kind of the one area, even though Frazier's portrayed as this intellectual who is kind of intimidating everyone, Roz keeps him in place. She's like, yeah, you really kind of suck at this uh, right now. When we're first introduced to her, she, she's given like uh, delivers a great, great line when Frazier starts going, going overtime. He, he's, he's, 
you know, giving giving this heartfelt speech. She cuts. She kind of says, "You cut off thirty seconds ago. We're on traffic right now." And she just deadpans it without any emotion in her voice. Yeah, I think the only the only emotion she really expresses at Frazier throughout this first scene is just frustration. Yeah, and annoyance. That's like. Why am I stuck with this guy? Um, the other thing is, it has to, it has to go uh, said is that Roz is an incredibly attractive woman who obviously would be very intimidating for most men to uh, to be dealing with on a nearly daily basis. Yeah, especially with Frazier's uh, problems with romance and everything in general, uh, and not to mention the breakup that he had had. Uh, it's it's got to be a bit more trying for him in the situation that he's in. Uh, to be working with somebody who is as attractive as Perry is and as Roz is as a character. Uh, yeah. Very tough, uh, tough situation for him. And later episodes in the series that deal with whether or not Frazier's uh, capable of like taking orders from a female boss. But, you know, R- Roz is just really assertive in terms of trying to make sure that the show is is running and keeping the time and, and being produced properly. Because uh, she very much does care about her job and as time goes by cares more and more about Frazier too. But yeah. at least from this episode, what we see is you know, she she is very much a taskmaster and knows everything about radio production and what Frazier is doing wrong and is kind of hesitant at first to let him know just how much he screwed up. But then yeah. she just hammers home and lets him know. I believe it was he kept calling the guy with the identity crisis Jeff instead of Jerry or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously didn't that help things, but... Uh... <laughs> Roz would later be known as uh, the series goes along. Her, her character kind of shifts a little bit. In, in this episode, she's seen as trying to be like this uh, uh, person who keeps Frasier in line, which sticks a little bit in, in her characterization later, but not as much. Later, she gets known for her... Uh, trying to find the delicate way to put this. Insatiable attraction to the opposite sex. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a gentle way of putting that. Uh, that, yeah. that part of her character gets played up an awful lot later on, but for now, there's really no hint of that in this episode, and we just see her as somebody who's really uh, just not not happy with Frasier as a, as a co-worker. So, the other thing I like about this episode is, you know, Frasier is famous for, most people know this about Frasier, even if they've never really seen an episode, because it's been parodied a couple times, especially on The Simpsons, is they have the famous black... Uh, screens with white lettering that go between scenes and explain kind of what's happening in the next scene. And this one's very simple. Each each one is, the, it starts out the job, and then it goes into Frasier, as we talked about, in the radio station with, with Roz, and this is his new job. The next screen is the brother, and yes. we are introduced to Niles. <laughs> yes, Niles, who is arguably the breakout character from the show. Absolutely. And it's <laughs> He's played by David Hyde Pierce, who's a phenomenal character actor. Uh, does not get enough work like he should. But we immediately hear him monologuing and, and talking to Frazier about the problems he's having as like in, in the cafe. And mind you, there's a lot of thought that went into the cafe like construction and decor of it because they didn't want it to be at all like Cheers and, and like try to rehash that. And th- they succeeded. Uh, like, like, they literally have no stools in Cafe Nervosa because they didn't want to associate it with bar stools. So there's just chairs and tables. Uh, yeah. No no stools. <clears throat> so we, we see Frazier and Niles just standing there at the bar. And Niles is uh, rambling on about his problems and asks Frazier for, you know, his thoughts. And Frazier, there's like a gap of like three seconds where 
Nothing happens in the freezer. Oh, I'm sorry, Niles. I didn't realize you had stopped talking. <laughs> and that's our introduction to their relationship as brothers. Yeah, they they seem to have a tenuous relationship at best. Some 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 animosity. Niles is portrayed as beyond stuffy. Like people, they almost you know they had some discussion about whether or not to make the brother the complete opposite. And they made them very similar. If anything, they took they took the the character Frazier and amped it up a little bit. Made him even stuffier. He's you can see him. He's well put together. He's perfectly perfectly dressed, hair perfectly combed back. And we're introduced to his famous obsessive compulsive uh, trait, where he must wipe down in a very excruciating pattern his uh, his chair before he sits on it, which is <laughs> to me kind of hilarious because. He's a psychiatrist who has an obviously small psychiatric disorder, but he <laughs> seems to not be able to self-identify <laughs> his, his own problem here. There's Niles wiping down the chair, but but it's interesting too that they they show him wiping it down. Uh, they don't mention you know that he has a, a problem. They just go right into it and show him doing it as Fraser just like stares. So. Yeah. There, there's no exposition to it, and like you know, saying that this guy is a neurotic kind of a mess at times. They just go ahead and show it right away by having them dust off a chair before they sit down. And uh, oh, back to your point though about uh, cafe nervosas when they were when they were uh, coming up, they knew they had when they're coming up with the concept of the show, they knew they had to have some sort of gathering place for them outside of work and home, and they couldn't come up with anything. They obviously couldn't use a bar because they didn't want to ha- harken back to anything from Cheers. So they came up with a coffee shop because it's set in Seattle, which was famous in the in the in the mid '90s for its its coffee shops. Um, so they chose Cafe Nervosa, and I don't believe they name it in this episode yet. I don't know if it's got it, if it got its name. I can't remember if I heard it. I don't think they say it. No. Yeah, yeah, it gets its name, I guess, a little bit later. And they chose Cafe Nervosa for Nervosa for the the disorder, uh, psychiatric disorder. So the other thing that the that uh, Casey and Lee pointed out was uh, they try to avoid exterior shots of buildings. They don't ever show the outside of Cafe Nervosa because they're like, we trust that the audience that's watching this is smart enough to know that the outside of a coffee shop looks like a coffee shop. We don't need to explain <laughs> it to them. No, it's, it's a very good point, too. It keeps things yeah. moving as well, since you're not showing shots of of just nothing. You're, you're focusing on the characters, which is perfect because Frasier's a character-driven show. And one of the other things, too, is... Uh, there's there's character movement, and this is one of the things that James Burroughs, as a director, uh, tries to create a lot of. Characters are doing something, or they're moving around, or or doing something to to keep a sense of momentum going. Uh, so, like the conversation between Frazier and Niles starts at the bar, uh, or I should say, like the counter, but it moves to a table where they sit down, and then they discuss uh, what's the the big plot point of this episode, uh, where they they mention. That Fraser's father, Martin, who is not named yet, uh, we just know him as their dad, uh, but he is in dire need of assistance because, as we find out, or they just mention, he, he has a problem with his hip. They don't go into detail, but it's bad enough to where he was seen uh, falling in the shower or he was on the floor when one of his friends came to visit and he, he's going to need a place to go. And Niles brings up the idea of putting him in a convalescent home where Frazier acknowledges that his father, or their father, I should say, is not old enough to warrant being in one. Uh, right. Which, you know, it does a little bit to establish his character already, because we know he's not, like, very, very old now from Frazier saying that. And then Niles brings up the fact that his his wife, Maris, 
does not get along with the father, which Fraser quips, well, who does? Who does? Get along with Maris. So you get a quick di- uh, dig there at, at Niles' wife, uh, who is completely unseen throughout the franchise, or throughout the series, but it was originally not intended that way. Right. Yeah, they originally wanted to find an actress to play Maris down the line, though, as they note in commentary tracks, uh, that they <laughs> the way they describe Maris over time, she becomes so obscenely, like, just deformed. It's like... Yeah. It's impossible to cast anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, nobody they could have cast for it could have ever worked. <laughs> so because of that, they, they ultimately go without showing her. Uh, but yeah. it's hinted that Maris is a terrible human being here. And there's a great line about uh, put, when they talk about putting uh, their father in a convalescent home. And they they read one of the, the whatchamacallit's the pamphlets. And I can't remember the name of the uh, the place, but it was like, you know... Uh, uh, green pastures or something we we care so you don't have to yeah <laughs> i was afraid just like it doesn't say that in front of niles oh it might as well yeah <laughs> uh, but, but the big discovery from this conversation is basically that you know fraser is has decided that despite the fact that he's just getting started and enjoys his new life uh here in seattle and the and the quietness and the solitude of it Frazier decides that he's going to take in his father to watch him, which leads to the next title card of the father. And our next scene scene is uh, Frazier sits at the piano playing it. The doorbell rings. He walks. He gives a solemn look on his face, walks over to the door, gives one last look at his apartment in solitude and opens it. And we are introduced to Martin, who at this point, <laughs> who will undergo character development as we'll talk about much later in the series at this point he's a pretty insufferable human being to be oh, around completely and uh yeah a lot of credit to the actor who plays him john mahoney for for pulling this off uh because he's not that much older than kelsey Grammer anyway uh right. but he acts it and has yeah. no problem carrying that and this this degree of like you said insufferability uh, that is just like really, really prevalent in this episode. He's so miserable. He he constantly takes pot shots at Frazier um, and snide remarks and everything, uh, like to the point where uh, Frazier says, "Dad, how do you like I, uh, the apartment I decorated?" And uh, Martin remarks, "None matches." He's like, "But it's a style where it's called eclectic, where things just uh, are really nice pieces. They sort of they don't need to match. They sort of go together." And Martin goes, "Ah, it's your money." He yeah. takes a sip from his beer, <laughs> and then and then uh, his his famous reclining chair is introduced. This ugly green chair is brought in by uh, by a serviceman, and uh, Martin's like, "Set it up in front of that thing, which has a TV in it," <laughs> and. He does deliver a million-dollar line where Frazier's like, but, Dad, it doesn't really go with anything. It's a clack deck. <laughs> and he sits down in the chair <laughs> and says duct tape and shit all over it. So, Yeah, and, and not to mention, too, the other things, uh, the, just kind of the physical aspect of this uh, performance is that originally, before he goes to the chair, he moves to the couch to sit down, and he kicks over, like, a poster uh, to the other end of the yeah. the table so he can set his foot down on it yeah. uh, and Fraser has to catch it and then yeah. when Martin goes to sit in the chair he knocks intentionally knocks over the TV stand that's yeah. next to where the chair is <laughs> or not, uh, like the TV diner stand of something if you will like a little ta- tray table uh, yeah. but he intentionally knocks that over too 
because uh, he has he has no care or, or you know concern about things. He's just uh, well, as he notes uh, too, that the only reason he's here is because you know he was a cop for thirty years, took a bullet to the hip, and now he can't take care of himself. So you know, one of his kids had to take him in for uh, uh, you know, and they they had to argue over which one was going to do it which the boys adamantly try to cover up the fact that they were arguing over it beforehand. Uh, but Niles is all too happy to see Frazier have to take him in, too. In fact, he makes he, he points out, I'm off to my dysfunctional family uh, seminar, which is <laughs> obviously humorous and contradictory, given that his family is completely dysfunctional at this point. And none of them get along, yet he's apparently teaching a seminar on it. And right before he leaves, he has to get one last dig in at Frazier and says, Hey, Dad, did you tell Frazier about Eddie? Gotta go, and and Fraser and uh, Martin proceed to argue about whether or not Eddie Martin's dog uh, is allowed to is allowed to join uh, the house. And Fraser puts his foot down and says, "He's weird, Dad. He just stares at me." And he's like, "Oh, it's all in your head." The next card is Eddie. They're watching a movie together in the dark with Eddie sitting on the couch, staring at Fraser, making him incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So. And of course, they they don't tell us who Eddie is beforehand. They don't tell us he's yeah. a dog, uh, yeah. but then you clearly see that he is. And there's a very short scene where it's yeah. literally it's just a pan over with the camera to where we see Frazier, and then the camera pans a little bit more, and there's Eddie, Jack Russell Terrier, played by the dog Moose, who's just like staring at Frazier, <laughs> and then it fades out from that and uh, fades back into our next scene, which is I think they're back at the yeah, I believe they go back to Nervoso. Yeah, they're back at the cafe. They go back to the cafe, they have another conversation. Frazier can't take it. He's all rattled. You know, he's, he's, he's constantly worried about, about his dad falling and this and that. And they're, they're fighting and he feels like he has to just take care of him too much. So brings up the uncomfortable conversation about possibly sending him back to the – possibly sending him to a convalescent home. Until Niles agrees, maybe Maris and I can help you out. Which Frazier responds, so you'll take Dad in? Oh, dear God, no. They'll, <laughs> they'll just pay for a home health care worker. To which Frazier replies, you know, these angels exist. Yeah, someone to take care of Dad, do, you know, do the laundry, uh, help him with his exercises and physical therapy. So we have to proceed to uh, interview these uh, health care workers. The next scene is we see Frazier <laughs> at the door with one of them, thanking them for their help. And as he shuts it, he goes, what the hell is wrong with that one? And he and Martin proceed to fight about the fact that they uh, that she you know she she wasn't right for Martin because he, he doesn't want any anything to do with this. So yeah, and Martin, Martin says she was just casing the place and yeah, yeah. She with Mother <laughs> Teresa for two years. Which yeah. was, well, if I was Mother Teresa, I'd check my jewelry case. <laughs> Great lines on this one. So. Doorbell rings one last time, and Frazier says, this is the last one. Try to be nice, all right? And we're introduced to the very lovely Jane Leaves as Daphne, who delivers the line, oh, caught me with with my hand in the biscuit tin, did you? And she's, like, reaching into a bra about something. So, yeah, perfect introduction to a character who is, uh, at this point in time, very, very zany and just yeah. uh, not very well put together in some ways. But anything, I love this. I love this incarnation of Daphne, which we don't really get to see very much longer, as you pointed out, because they kind of alter the character a little bit. But she, she's actually hilarious in the few minutes that she's in this, in this scene. 
She comes in. The first thing right off the bat she does pretty much is compliment Martin's hideous chair, which gets a smirk out of Martin. Like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, she she's says, like, it's like, it's like I always say, start with a good piece so you can replace the rest while you can. So now, obviously, this poor Fraser is taking an instant dislike to her. Um, <laughs> and as she's about to get her resume out. She's essentially up-dumping her entire purse. So there's like great physical comedy. She's got like all the shit in there and she's taking it out one by one and Fraser just looks at her like what the fuck do you have in there uh he says this look on his face as she hands him basically a crumpled up resume um and uh she <laughs> we also find out that Daphne is a bit psychic yeah. and she points out that Martin was a cop and he goes yeah how'd you know I must confess yes. I'm a bit psychic <laughs> Draws out the I, the Y in there. I'm a bit yeah. psychic. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because Jane Lee's is putting on like a really exaggerated accent because she actually has a very proper London accent. Um, she then she then says, "Oh, Fraser's." She was like, "I'm getting a reading on you. You're a florist." No, I'm a psychiatrist. Eh, well, it comes and goes. But the great <laughs> thing is, what before before you mention what she says in response to that. Uh, <laughs> If you look at Martin's face, because uh, it's not really like directly in camera shot, because they're focusing on Fraser's disgust, but there's a smirk on Martin's face at his son being called a florist, yeah. uh, which is further endearing Daphne to him. But then, you know, when she says that it comes and goes, she comes back with another memorable line about why that is. It's just the strongest around me time of the month. Ooh, I guess I just let out a little something about, about myself right there. There's a bit of a secret slip there. <laughs> yeah. Basically, with what Fraser replies, well, thank you, Miss Moon. <laughs> we, we, I think we've learned all we we need to about you, and a tad bit more, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I believe he uses the. I, I think his exact phrase is "and a dash extra." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Martin goes, you know what? We don't need to talk about this. You're hired. <laughs> which Fraser is absolutely horrified by this, and you pretty much just know that he hired Daphne because Fraser can't stand her, <laughs> not because he like loves Daphne or anything. So she goes into the bathroom so they can talk about it. Martin says, "Why the hell do you care? She's never going to be here when you're here." So he's like, oh, "Okay, great." <laughs> Daphne drops the bomb when she goes out of the bathroom, and she's going to move all of her shit into the house. Um, <laughs> and he said, "It's not a permanent position like that." I love her line. I'll just pop back into the bathroom and uh, check out some more of your erotic art, erotic yeah, African, African art, African erotic art. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, my favorite line in this though is uh, a little bit before that when she asks if they have a loo, and Fraser goes, "Yeah, oh, yes, it's right over there." She's like, "Great, I love America." <laughs> but, but yeah. She finds out it's a it's not a living position and says she's going to go back into the bathroom. Uh, but Fraser just excuses her and then says, you know, we'll contact you if not by uh, not by phone, then by the toaster. So, and goes to the door. yeah. And then uh, he and Martin proceed to hash it out pretty harshly. But the one thing I will point out here is a bit of a discrepancy in something is Martin says, well, because Fraser points out. I'm not going to have someone else living in this house. There's really nowhere to put them anyway. And Martin said, well, what about the room across the hall from mine? Which is not accurate because... Yes, because <laughs> Martin... I, I noticed this too, rewatching the episode. Yeah. Fraser says, but that's my study. But we've come... In later episodes, we find out Martin and Fraser live on the same 
side of the apartment. The left-hand side, if you're facing out the windows, whereas Daphne's room has always been established to the right. So it's not across the hall from Martin's. It's on the complete opposite side of the of the apartment. Yeah, so it's like I don't know what happened in that context. Maybe Frazier moved things around or whatnot. But uh, either way, yeah, they ultimately have Daphne on the other side of the apartment building, uh, which you know, not not a huge flaw by any means, but just an interesting little. Uh, Little slip there on the writer's part. Which I think actually makes sense because if you had all three of them going down the hallway when it came time for them to go to bed, it's like it's there's a nice little, I guess, I don't know, having them go to separate sides of the apartment, I think, works better, uh, especially if they're engaged in any sort of kind of argument or something like that. Yeah, that's uh, mention it. It's better considering you have two men on one side. It's better to let the lady have you know her own side, too, in order to give her a greater sense of privacy so she's not, you know trying to fight for territory around two other guys. Yeah. And it essentially makes sense because she's not really part of their family. So you, you want to make her have her feel comfortable and have like, she has her, her own sense of like her own space. They hashed out pretty harsh in which Frazier again, opens up his heart and pours out the fact that, you know, he's, he's, he's accommodated enough. He's brought Martin into his home. He's brought the dog into the house. You know, now you want me to have another person living here. I've changed my life so much for you. I've got this new job. I'm away from my kid, which they bring up again. And Martin proceeds to say, well, I've changed. My whole life changed, too. I took a bullet to the hip. I, you know, I thought everything was going great in my life. And now, you know, I'm stuck living with my kid again. To which Frazier responds again that, you know, I took you in because I wanted to because you're my dad, damn it. You know, I, I want to take care of you. I want to make sure I'm, I'm there for you. Um, and that's why I compromised so much. And uh, he's like, you know, you never even said thank you. And Frazier just leaves the apartment as Martin sulks away with uh, by saying, Eddie, you know, late for your, your dinner. He won't. He refuses to acknowledge or say thank you. They just can't get to that level in their relationship. Which then leads us back to KACL on the radio station where, uh, you know, Frazier's running back from uh, the bathroom uh, <laughs> because they put it too far away from the studio. Only that's to say. <laughs> We'll be right back after these messages. Can't we put that on tape? <laughs> Which I have to believe they could, but Roz, I think, really actually just enjoys it. <laughs> yes. Well, then we get another scene between uh, Roz and Frazier here, which I think is the weakest part of the episode, the story that she tells him. Um, because we never see anything like this happen again with Roz giving Frazier a lecture. This is like the only time uh, in, the, in the franchise history that this happened where she tells her him a story about uh, an actress named Lupe Velez who wanted to be famous uh, and ultimately tried to commit suicide in a lavish way so that she'd be remembered for it, only to have herself, you know, die in the bathroom, in the toilet, uh, and, like, you know, to be found that way. So, you know, her death was memorable in that sense, except for the fact that, you know, she wasn't remembered for the way that she wanted to be remembered, but she still got what she wanted. It just wasn't in the way that she expected and, you know, she's trying to impart that life lesson to Frazier that sometimes things work out, just not the way that you expect them to. Yeah. Uh, which, again, is the only time that Roz ever is able to impart some sort of a moral lesson on Frazier. Uh, <laughs> because I think the writers realize, you know, it, it's one thing to have her be able to, like, push him around the office and, and be, like, the boss of that area. Uh, it's another thing to, like, have her try to impart life lessons on Frazier, who is a pretty, despite the fact that he's pompous and, uh, you know, elitist, He's lived a, a pretty diverse life, and he knows about things being, you know, punishing. I mean, the guy was left at the altar in Cheers. It's true. Uh, <laughs> and, and had committed suicide, or, you know, attempted to commit suicide on Cheers, too. Yeah. Um, 
So like things like that, you know, kind of make him, uh, yeah, you know, a, a character that it's going to be hard to give him a, a life lesson in terms of like, you know, oh well, here's the moral of this story. He's he's probably going to know it already. Yeah. Um, but so they tell him the story of Lupi Velez, and uh, then Fraser decides that he's going to take a call, and the caller is Martin from Seattle, who's having a problem with uh, uh, his son, and. This is when we first find out that Martin's name is Martin, because then we hear the voice on, and it, it's obviously Fraser's dad who's talking to him, saying that he's got a problem. Uh, he just moved in with his son, and things aren't things ain't working out. Yeah. Uh, Fraser obviously instantly recognizes his father's voice, and you know doesn't let on, of course, that it's his dad. Uh, but they proceed to talk a little bit about things, and you know Fraser mentions that. In his half part of, well, actually sincere way of apologizing by saying, oh, uh, I suspect your son may not have realized that uh, your life was changing, too, to where Martin comically, like, gets very more, uh, much more abrasive and loud. And it's like, you got that right. I've been telling that ever since I moved in. (laughs) (laughs) And then he comes back down again. But he's also like, I, I suspect that my, uh. Yeah, I don't think my son realizes how uh, appreciative I am everything he's done for me. To where Fraser, you know, says, well, why don't you tell him? And Martin's lets out on a big character trait here of like, oh, you know how it is between fathers and sons. Uh, Sometimes you just, it's hard to say that kind of stuff. To where Fraser, you know, basically says, well, if it it helps, I suspect that he already knows, uh, already knows that. Uh, And says, is there anything else? And it's like, no, Dr. Uh, No, Dr. Crane, thank you. And, uh, you know, Fraser's like, like, well, I'm glad I could help. It's like, you hear what I said? I said thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Which also leads to a, a loud audience laughter uh, from that line, too, because uh, it, it's a great delivery. Uh, yeah. Which which ultimately ends up with uh, Fraser taking one more caller, and then, like, you know, the guys, uh, the girl's upset about how her life isn't working out the way that she wanted things to, and First, like, have you ever heard a story about Lupi Velez, which rounds out the episode? The one thing I will point out is I actually never, I never noticed this because I, I know, uh, I know that he's Martin, but yeah, I never realized that they don't point out that his name is Martin until that very scene when Roz says we have Martin from uh, Seattle he's having a problem with his son. So if you're watching this for the very first time, you know, you're gonna, it's, that's going to be as big a shock for you as, as it would be for Fraser to hear. Here's dad calling in. Yeah, it's a nice little touch. Yeah, um, yeah it is. Because <laughs> it's also a way of giving a character's name out without being so, like, you know, expositional, too. Yeah. Because Fraser and Niles would have no reason to, to, to call him Martin, so they'd have to do something like that to introduce his name. Yeah, and it's not like, you know, he, it's not like he says it in some... Because they could have done it in some grandiose ways. Like, imagine why I see it in the paper there. Martin Crane, shot by, uh, you know, wounded by a, by a burglar. Like they could have done something like that, uh, but they didn't do anything corny like that. They just, you know, half and call in, which is a, a great way of showing. And I think this is where the episode really succeeds in its heart, of showing you know the the struggle of father and son relationships and how communicating in a less personal fashion like that is sometimes a lot easier than being able to say things face to face. Yeah, which is very true to life as much as it is true to these characters. And then the the final scene is over the credits. As uh, credits roll is Fraser's compromised. Everyone's together. <laughs> they, they pan out to a wide shot, and Martin, 
Frazier and Daphne sit and watch a movie while Eddie stares, sits between Daphne and Frazier on the couch and stares at Frazier. And he just has this look on his face like, ah, how did I get myself into? Yes, which is also our confirmation that Daphne is hired for the job. Yeah. <laughs> they don't outright say it, but you get to obviously infer it from from that shot, which is another good way of establishing things without saying it uh, like directly to the audience. Yeah, you, you basically come to the conclusion. It's like, well, they're sitting in the dark watching a movie, and it's nighttime outside. And Fraser has this look on his face, so it's like, yeah, yeah, he 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 gave in. He took Roz's advice and hired Daphne and let her move in. Now, the interesting thing about the episode overall is that none of the characters portrayed here are quite the way that they're going to be at, let's say, the end of this season. Niles is, or at least in the next season too. Niles is incredibly stuffy and, like, very, like, got a huge stick up his ass in terms of his actions and the way he carries himself. Um, that gets toned down a little bit as the seasons progress. Uh, Daphne is more psychotic here than she ever is again. Uh, Roz is, like we have already discussed, she gets more man-crazy as things go along. Uh, Martin is incredibly gruff here, and that lasts for a good season or two. Yeah. Uh, until it finally starts toning down, like around season, around season three, it starts to get more amicable. Um, so yeah, all that changes as as time progresses too. Uh, the only character that, and even Eddie changes too, because he stops staring at Fraser after a while as well. Yeah. So none of the characters stay the same, which is important because it's good to see character evolution, so that it's just not repeating the same uh, like stock situations and responses. That you would have expected, like that that whole time. Yeah, yeah. This is a show where there is there is definitive character growth and change. I would say that you know, Niles and Martin Martin lasts the longest in the, as in this incarnation, and Niles probably lasts the second longest because he's still pretty stuffy by the end of this the first season. Um, just not as much. They they I would say they gradually begin turning him down when he meets Daphne. Um. For the first time, which doesn't happen until episode three, I think. I think you might be right. But, oh, the one thing I also wanted to say about Daphne was apparently when she's in her uh, interview pointing out, you know, uh, Fraser's a florist and all shit, she goes, you're a dog, right? To Eddie. And apparently that line was ad-libbed by Jane Leaves during rehearsal. And they're like, oh, that's pretty funny. And they kept it in. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, just further, anything at that point she's saying is just irritating Fraser more. So it, it's a good tactic. I, I think if we were to pick, like, uh, I'm going to nominate an MVP for the, for this episode. And, uh, yeah, you, I, I'd like you to nominate your own, too, based off the episode. And for me, I'm, I'm going to have to nominate, as much as I want to nominate Martin uh, for the lines that he delivers in perfect context, I have to nominate Kelsey Grammer for this one because he carries the episode in, in many ways, in, in an emotional delivery, too, in a couple spots, too, like when he's fighting with, with Martin and, you know, when he says that line of like, I took you in because you're my father and I wanted to like, he's almost at, like, sounds like he's at the brink of about to cry a little bit. It kind of happens on the radio too, when he's talking to Martin about, you know, just you know, how he feels a little bit and trying to hide it under the guise of being, you know, the, uh, the professional, uh, caller or say a psychiatrist to the caller, uh, and hiding that relationship that they actually have. Um, so it's, it's a little touches like that. And, you know, the, the callbacks to, you know, mentioning Freddie and everything, 
that establish that Frazier is is a character that is worth investing your time into because he's a good guy, even though he's a bit of a, a pompous ass a lot of the time. Uh, but he's got a legitimately good heart, and that comes through very strongly in this episode. So my MVP for uh, episode one, The Good Son, Kelsey Grammer. Way to go, good sir. You, you got your first MVP award on my account. Yeah, Frazier's a good choice. Uh, he, you know, he, he keeps the... He, He's really the common denominator. He's he's the necessary character that we're following over from the prior series, uh, and he's the one that has to tie all these other characters together as we're putting the show together. I will, however, having said that, I will be going with Martin because his and it's, it's just John Mahoney's portrayal of the the dad like this this gruff dad who is so miserable and so detestable, and you just want like you you it, when he first makes his appearance. You, you know, all of, all of the the portrait has been painted. Now we completely understand why Niles and Fraser had the argument over who has to take care of him, because you can see that he has nothing in common with them. They have nothing in common with him, and uh, his his attitude is um, is is painful to be around. And the, as you pointed out, the physical stuff where he just completely he just kicks the shit out of the way. It's like belongs to Fraser. The the coaster just goes sliding off. But then you know by the end he does come to appreciate his son and and everything he's done for him so within one episode he does make quite a he does have to show quite a range of uh of emotions and feelings yeah that's very true uh like like i said and like you uh reiterated too the physical aspect of his performance was very good and he does a wonderful job of instantly portraying the kind of difficult father that many people grow up with yeah uh, and he like embodies a lot of traits that like like fathers do have, but without seeing like a corny caricature uh, right. of, by any means. And again, uh, a lot of credit to to Mahoney for pulling off that performance in in a wonderful fashion. Uh, so I can easily see why uh, you would pick him for the MVP of that of that episode, which now puts a a running tally we'll have of yeah. uh, Kelsey Grammer with one and John Mahoney with one. And right. as we go along, we'll see who ends up. With the most, uh, but I will say that the weakest uh, performer in this episode, I have to give it to Roz. Uh, not not any fault of now, mind you. Whenever I say anything like this, uh, <laughs> it is not the fault of the actor or actress. It is generally the fault of the part that they were given at the time, or they just weren't utilized fully in that episode. Uh, the main cast, I will say, throughout the entire show's run, I can very seldom think of them giving a weak performance. Uh, some guest stars are better or worse than others, but the core cast of, of Grammer, Pierce, Mahoney, Leaves, Gilpin, straight from, from start to finish, almost universally great performances all the way through. And it's, it's really a shame that I believe Perry Gilpin never received a nomination. Nope, never even got a nomination for... Yeah, uh, yeah whereas Ross. the rest of the cast got nominations, at least. Yeah, and unfortunately... Uh, Roz is the, kind of the, the, the weak character in this episode, too, um, with her adding probably the least bit to things and her lecture about Lupe Velez, to me, coming off as a little bit uh, condescending, more so than Frasier is sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't I don't necessarily mind the Lupe Velez story, I guess, as much as you do. Um, I, I guess because it's, it's a little unique having Frasier be the one to receive the advice, but... Maybe it's because I've already seen all the episodes. If I were to be watching this as a new viewer, I think I would be confused by that. 
but having seen everything else, it's kind of nice maybe to see Roz being the one to give the give advice to Frazier. You know, like I said in the pilot episode, maybe not the smartest idea. I also second that though. That second your opinion that Roz is the weakest character in this episode, uh, just because everyone else was all the other characters were firing on all cylinders and their their characterizations were just uh, were were incredible. Martin is as grumpy as hell. Niles is extremely pompous and full of himself. And then just the zaniness of Daphne, who is hilarious. And, it, and then Kelsey Grammer, we only really need to talk about him. He's on he's somewhat on another level. Uh, Roz is just kind of the odd duck out. Uh, her her performance just wasn't necessarily as strong as the other ones. Yeah, and again, no fault of Perry. It's just... Yeah, Perry did a great job She in terms of what she was given to work with. And, you know, she was believable in the character and everything. It's just the, the character was just portrayed as a little weak. Now, for final analysis of this episode... There's two things you have to look at because this is a special episode. Uh, the first thing is, you know, the episode's quality in general of whether, you know, it's a good episode, well-written, funny. Uh, but the, the second thing, and this is the only time that we'll be able to, to say this, is what service this episode does to starting the series in general. If I'm ranking this on a scale of 1 to 10 for how this is going to introduce the series, despite the fact that the characters change quite a bit from now till later... Uh, this episode earns a solid 10 out of 10 for the way that it is able to set things up, establish it, and let us know of what to expect for future episodes to come, because they they do nail the characterization a- a- as a place for them to start growing from, and the comedy is you know right there with what you'd expect to see from future episodes, uh, the quips from Martin, the exchanges between Niles and Frazier, the kooky Daphne. Uh, the Sword of Ross, it's, it's all there, portrayed in a way that is believable, understandable, and references the source material enough without relying on it too much, that being Cheers, to establish its own identity and make Frasier a different show than Cheers ever was. I agree. Actually, I don't really need to add any more to that, because that pretty much sums up everything I would say as well, in terms of the quality of getting the episode started. Based off of that... I'll let you start off with looking at this as a Frasier episode in general. How would you rank it on a 1 to 10 scale? I would give it a solid 7, I would go with. It's not as funny as some of the other episodes and not as emotional as some of the other episodes could be. The pieces are all there, and we, we can see like how funny these interactions are going to be. Some of the interactions are hilarious. Like the, I know it's eclectic, and you hear that? I said thank you. <laughs> we get we get a lot of the good one-liners that are famous sometimes and maybe because i know what what's coming later uh you know some, sometimes some of the reactions and other lines some of the characters deliver uh you know are just priceless the, the point where you and i quote them <laughs> like no matter what or like you know randomly at, at other times uh i'll say seven out of ten and i'm gonna go with a little bit higher i'm gonna go with an eight out of ten uh just because i do think that the episode has a lot of heart to it uh, even though it's not as funny as others, sets things up in a way that, you know, is strong and, you know, they have to do some introduction of characters and they do it in a way that doesn't slow down the pace too much. Slows it down a bit, but not not tremendously so. Um, but overall, it's an episode you can throw on, laugh at and appreciate and enjoy. And for that, I give it a, a solid eight, which on average would give us a score of 7.5. So that would basically wrap up our first episode of the Frasier analysis. Next up will be obviously the second episode, uh, Space Quest. And we'll get to that uh, eventually here as we continue along with, with our project of tackling every one of 
264-part uh, series. <laughs> the Fraser analysis. To end this episode, I will thank Eric for being here. Thank you very much for having me. So until next time, we're wishing you a good day and good mental health. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling to salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, baby, but I got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. The android has left.